0: Welcome to Yolitix, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics.
1: All right, this is a tough week. The Surgeon General is saying that this is going to be the worst week so far. Our Pearl Harbor, our 9-11. I mean, it's, I, I can't imagine what so many families, especially in the Northeast, are going through, but also hundreds of them here. And before, Jason, we get going, my wife told me about something, and I thought about you. There is What's a that? there is a brewery in Dallas near Parkland Hospital. It's called Celestial Brewworks, hmm. and they have a beer, a pilsner that's called. Wait for it. Social distancing. Oh my goodness! They Boy, are they they're they, quick. They, they didn't waste any time on that one. They're sold out too. And a uh, a friend of hers had it and said it was a, a a great beer. Maybe when things clear up, that we can all. Uh, you know, raise a glass, and you know who we need to toast. We need to toast our healthcare workers, Jason.
0: You're right. You know, we've we and we've taken a break. It seems like from you know having the the beer with the podcast that we usually do here, because boy, we're just talking about some really serious stuff these days. When we start talking about the numbers of deaths that are expected, the number of deaths we have already had, and some of those deaths, Jason, have been. Healthcare workers who have been getting the virus as they're trying to take care of the rest of us. Uh, and, and so, you know, our hats go off to them, them for sure. Uh, and today we, we found a woman who is one of these traveling nurses. This is a whole subset of nurses who basically travel around and, and, and fill in the blanks at uh, a lot of hospitals that, that, that need people.
1: Yeah, she's from North Texas, and I didn't realize traveling nurses really existed. These are like nurses for hire, mercenaries out there for the medical field, and it's, it's great they exist because there are hospitals in need, clearly. We see in the Northeast, we see in New Orleans, Chicago, Detroit, some of these big cities that really need them. This young nurse is from North Texas originally, but she took a job a few weeks ago down in the Rio Grande Valley down at a hospital Mm -hmm. down there we're not naming the hospital that's not important what's important is is that she is providing care to Texans who are in need she shows up at the hospital Jason doing regular nursing duties and after a couple days they assigned her to the COVID unit Mm -hmm. there I can't imagine that but she first opened up on Instagram to her -hmm. followers thoughts and emotions it was a it was a moving message on instagram so i reached out to her and asked her if she'd join us on y'all Tix as well her name is joanna hernandez joanna this is your day off huh
2: it is it is are
1: you exhausted right now
2: just a little bit not too much just yet hmm. <laughs> tell our
1: tell our listeners what where you're from and what you do
2: so right now i'm from dallas area and i'm actually a travel nurse in south texas currently completing a contract, and since I've been here, I've been seeing a steady increase in our cases with COVID-19, and I've been privileged to be able to be given an opportunity to help out in that unit.
1: You mentioned also on Instagram, it's where I saw your post of all places. Yes. When you first went down there though, you said you weren't originally in the COVID unit, and then you were assigned to the COVID unit. Mm -hmm. Were you pretty nervous about that assignment?
2: Correct. So since I am a traveler, I didn't think that I was going to be sent first out of the group. I thought maybe they would just kind of leave me in the back end. And one day they just told me, Hey, you're being floated. You're already assigned. Just get ready to go. And so at that moment I had to just wrap my head around, Oh my goodness, this is real. This is happening. There's positive cases in my hospital. And so really I just did a quick prayer. Um, I notified any of my other medical professional friends and they gave me encouragement, motivation, and I just went in with a positive and uh, brave attitude.
0: Joanne, I was going to ask you about that. Uh, You guys handle everything. As a nurse, you're prepared for pretty much anything when you walk into a room. Why does this feel different when you hear that it's a COVID case?
2: More because of what we've been seeing on the media every day. Um, Things are changing drastically as the days go by. You know, we're seeing the our president give us all the updates, CDC, and it's really nerve-wracking as we see the numbers increase um, drastically more in the north, but also in Texas we see a steady increase, and so it is a little nerve-wracking knowing that, you know, what if we are exposed and this could be the one day where we end up catching something. So. It's definitely um, eye-opening, but it's also rewarding knowing that we have been chosen to be the ones to step up and be there for these patients when they need someone the most.
0: I guess what also makes it so scary is that there's so many unknowns with this because this is novel to us, uh, and and that's why we call it the novel coronavirus. Um, Have you heard from other people you know who work in the profession? Are you trying to get details from other people as to what works best, how to protect yourself, what to expect, et cetera?
2: Absolutely. I have a really close friend of mine. She's a medical professional. She's a nurse in Jersey, really close to the border of where the the higher cases are. And she's calling me every day. She's giving me tips. She's giving me motivation and just trying to really give me a positive outlook on what we're here to do. And she's really preparing me with everything that they're getting to do first and, you know, giving me a little bit of a heads up so that we can practice that here in Texas as well.
0: Can you give us an example of something that maybe she's passed along to you that was was helpful?
2: So definitely she said, even though they may notify you, hey, it's just a rollout case, and they might come out negative because I hear that all the time. Um, you know, she said, treat everyone as if they're already a positive case, gown up, put your double gloves, put your shield, put double mask. She said, treat everyone as if they're already positive. And she also said that, you know, we need to be going in there and just also giving them a hopeful, positive um, demeanor towards these patients, because really we're probably one of the only faces they see throughout this whole experience. And they're relying on us for that ounce of hope. And so really she's been my motivation and my, really my mentor throughout this whole process.
1: Joanna, can you tell us what it was like to, to suit up that first time and walk into a, a patient's room?
2: Absolutely. Um, it was definitely challenging. I, I, don't like small spaces and I don't like feeling trapped. And so our PPE is definitely equipping us to protect from head to toe, which is nice. But I had to really change my mentality and and tell myself that this is for my protection and also for theirs as well. And it was it's definitely a little hard to breathe under the n95 masks. but once I was in there, like I said before, um, in the post that I shared, You know, seeing the look on their faces really just made all of those thoughts and worries go away in just seconds. And I really just focused on what I was there to do and bring comfort to these patients.
0: Joanna, do you have enough of that equipment right now? What are the supplies like when you do have to suit up like that? Or do you have enough stuff?
2: Yes. So right now um, we are equipped enough in our hospital. In Texas, I don't see that there's too much of a shortage. Um, However, they are keeping us updated every shift on what those numbers look like and how, you know, how equipped we are in the next week coming, just so we are mentally prepared. Hey, maybe we do need to save one of the masks for at least a day or two, you know, as long as we clean it and all that. So we're definitely being um, supportive with them and working together to make sure we're all taken care of.
1: Let's talk about some of the actual mechanics of what you do. I didn't realize until your post that COVID patients are kept in negative pressure rooms. Yes. Explain what that is and even how weird it is trying to close the door in these rooms.
2: So it is, it's it's a specific uh, challenge because, you know, we we really want when those doors open to every, everything to just be sucked back in, we don't want anything floating out and exposing any of the other staff. And so these doors are big, they're heavy. And with that high negative pressure room, you know, trying to shut these doors is challenging and you really got to push and put a lot of effort, but you know, it's what we have to do. And it's the only way to keep those rooms, you know, keep everything in there not everything and be exposed outside.
1: Yeah. So the negative pressure rooms are the ones that just essentially keep all the air inside and don't, don't let it uh, float out. Want to Correct. ask you also before you mentioned two specific patients, not obviously by name or anything like that. Correct. Um, but before you walked into, uh, an elderly woman's room, You got a phone call at the nurse's station. Tell me about the phone call, who was on the line, and then what you did when you walked into that room.
2: So essentially, you know, we're trying not to waste too much time. So I was already in the middle of putting on my gown. But as soon as someone told me there was a family member, you know, that's top priorities. I removed everything and quickly went to receive the phone call. And it was actually um, this patient's daughter all the way in California. And she explained to me quickly, it's almost like she felt anxiety because she was trying to get a hold of somebody throughout the day. She said they were a little too busy. They couldn't answer her phone call. And she was very relieved that at least somebody was able to answer her phone call, even if it was um, later in the evening. And so she was just really scared. She was, um, I could feel anxiety and pain in her voice. um, But I did the very best that I could to, to seem calm and reassuring to her and assertive that her mom, you know, was in pretty stable conditions at the moment. And she was just really touched by it. And she gave me specific instruction to go inside her mom's room and just simply hold her hand and let her know that her daughter was going to be praying for her and that she was going to be, you know, on top of keeping with the updates.
1: What did her mom say or do?
2: And really, as soon as I walked in, the first thing her mom did as she could take breaths because she was connected to, to high flow oxygen. She looked over at me and she just had this, this face of, of pain and you know sadness, and as soon as I went and grabbed her hand, I I whispered in her ear. I whispered in her ear that her daughter had just called, and her her lace her face just lit up, and she smiled at me even the slightest, and I could just tell that the mention of her daughter's name made a world of a difference.
0: Wow, that is uh, powerful stuff. You have to think about your own family and 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 just the humanity of it. I mean, I know that you're there for medical purposes, but what is that like when you're passing along a message like that that's so personal
2: oh it's very touching it was very rewarding to be the one to be able to do that because i think of it myself if my mom were in there you know i for me to not be able to be by her side and even to see her through a facetime call is is very difficult and i i completely understand where her daughter was coming from so I, i held her hand so tightly and i almost felt a little bad but i was just like if this were my mom i would want somebody to be in here doing this right now so i really just gave her those moments to just sink it all in. And I I really, it was so rewarding for me and a blessing to be able to do that.
0: That's something that's so different in particular about this virus, uh, Joanna, is that the family doesn't have any chance to be there by their loved one's side. And for you as a medical professional, I would imagine that nothing in your career has trained you for this kind of experience. What is that like uh, for healthcare professionals? I can only imagine how much more draining it must be to go through the day when you know that you are the perhaps the only person that this person gets to see. And and you're sort of trying to calm them and soothe them and all of that, too. There's got to be a lot of emotional stuff that goes on there for you as well.
2: Absolutely, um, it's definitely something I thought about going into this career. I thought about the emotional aspect, not just the you know the physical, and I I knew it was a calling that I had to do because I've always tried to put myself in patients' shoes, and I've always been able to do that. So for me to think, okay, these patients are not just COVID positive patients, but you know other patients that come in day to day, thinking these people are alone in the rooms most of the time. We really are the only ones that walk in there and to just be able to open up our hearts and have an opportunity. Not a lot of careers let us do that to where we get to put an emotional side into it and and invest in those patients. Um, But they allow us to do that. And that's the beautiful thing about this career is they're letting us not just be there and treat them physically, but be able to open up to them and be able to have those deep conversations and hold their hand. Not a lot of people get to do that. So I'm very blessed to be in this profession, especially at this time right now.
1: Joanna, when you get home at night, the past few days that you've been in the COVID unit, what do you think about when you put your head on the pillow?
2: It's hard, especially these last few days. I've even had a couple of dreams about all of this. It's just so surreal, everything we're going through. And, you know, I keep replaying in my head, what if that is my mom in there? What if it is even me and myself? It is Every day it is a little terrifying still getting up. But as soon as we enter that unit, it's like everything changes. It's like all, all of our worries that we thought about at home, everything that we've been Playing in our head anxiety and all of that it just it goes away and I just its a feeling I can't explain like until you walk on that unit you really get that sense of this is why I'm here and everything just it goes away so I'm really I love that
0: Joanna, can you tell us about just watching somebody with this virus as it progresses, uh, just what it's like as you watch this? How does it differ from other things that you've seen? We've heard stories from others that it's just surprising how quickly things turn with this.
2: Yes. So we're seeing that a lot of these patients, if they're getting hit pretty hard by COVID-19, they tend to decline pretty rapidly. And a lot of them end up on ventilators and, and whatnot and get treated a little bit more critically um, as far as the patients that I've been taking care of, they are in, in pretty critical conditions, but stable enough to where they can speak back to me and do all of that. So, um, the only thing that I've been able to see as far as rapidly declining is with coworkers and, and them letting me get insight on their patients. And it's, it's definitely, um, it's really opening. It's, it's pretty devastating because it, you know, even hearing our coworkers talk about it, they they say it's not going to be a good outcome. And and for us, I mean, we we feel like we're their primary nurse as well. We're a team, and that hurts us because we know that these patients' families are just they have a hope, and a lot of them really aren't gonna gonna see light at the end of the tunnel. And that's where it's it's hard for us to see.
1: Joanna, have you lost a patient yet?
2: Not yet, and I I hope to God that that I don't.
0: Have you seen anyone who's made like a remarkable recovery? Uh, Because I think people are looking for that hope as well. Uh, Somebody who looked like they were in in pretty dire straits who turned it around.
2: Absolutely. Um, I have seen a couple that were in critical condition and they slowly have been tapering off oxygen. Mm -hmm. And so that gives us hope too that, you know, this thing really can be reversed. And I've seen people already been discharged and walk out. It's taken at least a couple of weeks, but they have walked out. So we just have to treat every patient um, as a unique case and really just give them all the undivided attention because every case is going to be different. And right now we're in a time where we just don't know. We don't know enough about COVID-19 to know exactly how these patients are going to react. So we're really just trying to invest more than 100% to each one of them to give them everything that they need because, like I said, we might be some of the last spaces these patients see or some of the patients, and we want to make it count if that's the case.
1: When I asked you a moment ago, if you had lost a patient, you said, fortunately, no, but I can tell that's something that you are worried about.
2: I mean, especially seeing on media that deaths are happening and it is inevitable. Um, I, like I said, Texas is barely getting in that, in that range of where it's slowly increasing and um, it could happen. I, I, I can't sit here and say that it won't happen. Um, but all I can say is that I'm going to be praying every single day for every single patient on my unit, and just hope for for the best outcome and, and a quick one.
0: Uh, so you're working down in the in the valley right now at the hospital where you are, which we're not identifying obviously. Uh, what is the what is the caseload like when it comes to COVID 19? How how full are you guys with with these cases?
2: So right now, our unit is ranging anywhere from 13 to 18 patients, from what I've been on. And our nurse patient ratio right now is three to one, so it really gives us time to, mm. to be able to invest a lot of time in each of those patients. Mm-hmm.
1: You're a traveling nurse, and I, I didn't realize that that was a thing. Um, yeah. But w- one thing you told me on the phone right before we began here is that your recruiter is also talking to you about potentially going to the Northeast. Absolutely. You have a friend up there you told Jason a moment ago, but are you really prepared for that?
2: I've been mentally thinking about it uh, the past week, every single day I've been tuning in into what's going on over there. And I, I have such an urge to be able to go and put hands on deck. And, you know, it's just so devastating listening to everything that's going on everything Trump is saying about what's happening every single day, not just by the week. And um, it, it really is, it's a calling and I feel like I, I feel moved to be able to go and, and work. So we're, we're my recruiter and I are talking about it. It's a possibility. And um, I definitely keep everyone updated if that takes place.
0: Joanna, we've heard some uh, crazy numbers thrown out as far as, you know, when they're trying to recruit people to go up that way. Uh, what, what sort of offers get thrown out there as far as what you've heard anyway?
2: As far as uh, wages and, and pay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the range is is so different. I hear a lot of different things. I hear anywhere from four to six, four to eight per week, you know, and and for me, I'm just like, you know, at this point, you can't even think about the wages. You think about what these people are going through and you feel all you can think about is, man, the chaos is really going to be real up there because you hear about all the shortage of supplies and it's, it's, it's still scary. It's like, you can't put a number on that. You can't put a price on that. Like it's, it's your life. It's your family. Like what if you don't get to see your family, you go up there and it's just a lot of, a lot to think about, but you really, you think about, like I said, these families without their loved ones. And it just, that's what brings us and is trying to pull us over there. And so that's really all I'm thinking about.
1: How, how has this changed you, these patients and, and this disease?
2: A lot. Um, we really don't know until we're in a room where we have a positive confirmed case that makes you open up your eyes and say, is this the one case that I could be exposed to that changes my life, my loved ones at home? Um, it's really eye-opening, and it's very, um, very challenging as well to think about um, you know, everything that everyone's going through and all the other coworkers. Every, every single coworker has a different perspective on, on this unit. And it's just changed me to be more brave, to be more, um, heart opening and just to spread this awareness to everybody around me.
1: You said to be more brave. What do you mean?
2: Just to be brave, to go up to any challenge. I mean, when our managers come and ask a certain thing of us, a lot of people don't respond well, or they say they're scared and they'd rather not, you know, so for us to take that step and just be brave and say, you know what, whatever you ask me to do, I'm here to do it. This is, this is what I was here for. Um, it's definitely, it's a challenge, but it's rewarding as well.
0: How do you cope with this at the end of the day? Do you like keep a journal? Do you talk to somebody about it? What, what are you doing right now? Right
2: now, the, the first thing I do, I love talking on the phone. The first thing I do is I call all my nurse friends. I have a lot of them and all of them right now are dealing with some sort of caseload of COVID patients, um, and it's very nice because we can relate, we can talk about it, we can talk about what their hospitals are doing, we can talk about what mine is doing, and just compare and just give each other tips and motivation on on how to deal with all this, because really it's a scary thing. But we're all here to motivate each other, and we're all trying to be brave, as brave as we can, and that's what's getting us going.
1: Joanna, have you had a test?
2: Not yet. Um they are wanting us to save tests for patients that are coming in with um, with symptoms. I haven't presented any symptoms yet. I've been very careful. I've been at home on my days off, um, really just going out to get groceries. But as soon as I feel any sort of symptom, I've, I'm definitely moved to, to get tested.
0: Joanna, some of us haven't been so great about social distancing. Uh, a lot of people have been arguing whether now uh, or in the near future is the time to open the economy back up. People have been getting into political fights uh, over this whole thing. What do you think most of us will gain if we could walk into one of these rooms with you? What do you want people to take away from what your experience with this virus has been?
2: So like everyone's been saying, a lot of people don't really see the severity of these cases or what's going on in our states because they haven't seen one-to-one or one of their loved ones have hasn't been impacted yet. But I've seen firsthand, and and I can admit I was one of them that I was like, you know, you know, we're very healthy and- We can just go on out about our day as long as we keep a little distance and all that. But when you walk into these rooms and you see people fighting for their lives, you see them grasping for air, for oxygen, their eyes are red. They're just in such anxiety and no one can be there. That's the scary thing is if one of your parents or if one of your kids ends up in those units, you cannot be there. And that's what I want people to know is when when this comes, it's not if, it's when it comes to your town or your city and if it ends up in fact, impacting one of your loved ones, you will not be able to be there to hold their hand. And that's what I want people to understand is this is serious. And if we keep just ignoring it and, you know, making it easy, oh, we'll go visit a few friends. And it could be that one time, those that one hour that you spend with them that can just change everything. And I, I just want people to know that.
0: Something I'm getting from your perspective here is the state of mind of these patients, because I think that some people have taken a little bit of comfort in thinking, well, you know, by the time you get really critical, you know, maybe you're out of it. You don't realize what's going on. It sounds like, though, that uh, a number of these people fully realize what's going on.
2: Oh, most definitely. Uh, I've seen a lot of nurses um, talk to these patients, even though they, they're they somewhat intubated or they're somewhat, cut, you know relying on full oxygen and and they can move fingers. They can move their face and they know what's going on. They can hear our voice. And, and that's, that's what's really making all the difference. We know they can hear us and we try to give them every ounce of hope. But like I said, you know, there are going to be cases that just don't make it. And that's just the scary thing about all of this is that we're not going to see everybody come out, you know, fully recovered and, and this is real. So we just need to take that into consideration.
0: Wow. Joanna, behind the scenes, what are people there saying that they're preparing for? Uh, are, are you all expecting that you're going to be slammed in the weeks ahead? What, it, what, what is you know what's being talked about?
2: Well, what we've been seeing is just what we're watching every every day on the news um, with uh, with our president saying about the peak. We're definitely prepared these next two weeks to get um, a, at least for sure a few more cases. Um, and I know some of those will be confirmed because, you know, certain nursing homes that were exposed and a lot of them came out positive and we're just getting a steady amount of, of those population of patients coming in. So I, I do predict that in the next few weeks we will get a caseload. But like we said, uh, we hope that now that now more than anything, people are taking it more seriously. They're wearing masks at the stores. I've, I've already been seeing it here at the local HEB and Walmart. People are all masking up. They're not letting the unless list are mask. So I'm hoping that with these changes the numbers will decline by the end of the month. And slowly we can just get back to how, how life was
1: before. All right. Joanna, it's fascinating to hear what you're experiencing down there. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about what you're experiencing, about what these patients are experiencing too. And if you go up to the Northeast, please let us know uh, how that goes. We'd like to check in with you on that. Absolutely. Joanna, I'm-
0: stay safe. And uh, thank you for everything that you are, are doing and tell everybody you work with the same.
2: Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity to share with y'all.
0: So, you know, Jason, when you listen to these nurses and doctors, uh, EMTs uh, all on the front lines here, you know, I keep thinking, I hope that there's help available for them somewhere. It does sound like they're doing this in sort of an ad hoc way where they're getting on the phone with their colleagues at the end of the day and just sort of letting it out, debriefing. Just imagine the emotions that build up through the day when not only are you worried for yourself, you're feverishly, you know, moving around as fast as you can to take care of these people who need you so much and you're... You're, you're their connection to the whole world. They can't have family or friends nearby. So I hope that they have some professional help that's available. And I think they're going to need professional help after all of this is done. I mean, I just can't imagine what that does to your psyche to be under that day in and day out.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, th- this, this poor woman called us on her day off, which, I, I, you know, she needs to rest working 12, right. 13 hour shifts in the, uh, the ICU at this South Texas hospital down there. I was struck when she said also that she is considering taking a job in New York or New Jersey. Yeah. I mean, you know, you think it's bad where she is when I mean, she has a handful of patients she's responsible for experiencing symptoms of this, but you're going into the hot zone there.
0: You know, she said it's a calling, and I I absolutely believe that it has to be because I think so many of us would turn and run uh, if we were asked to do something like that. She didn't hesitate for one second when we asked her about going up to New York. I mean, right away. Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about that. It's you know, it's definitely on my mind. She wants to get up there, get her hands in there, and help. Uh, And and boy, could they use the help? This is uh, expected to be a, a really awful week in New York. And again you know, we can't just wash our hands of it either. You know, uh, the the governor there in New York keeps saying, you know, it's New York today. It's you tomorrow or the next day or the next day. You know, everybody's going to have their run with this.
1: Yeah. And, you know, they they say the the peak here in Texas could be a week or two after New York. It looks like that maybe New York is is kind of topping the bell curve we all hope the governor's kind of suggested that a couple times we've seen the numbers at least in dallas county maybe flatten out that's the number of uh, actual positive cases so let's hope that's the case at the end of the day jason whatever time you're listening to this um you know i think we need to really raise a glass to our healthcare care workers the, these people yeah. who put themselves in harm's way
0: Yeah, and support them any way you can right now. And if that means just taking a phone call or sending some messages of support, if you know of somebody in your own life, or, you know, I love this program where people have been donating meals to uh, healthcare professionals in hospitals, and they've been using restaurants that have had to essentially shut down. So they're getting some business out of this, and they're sending these boxed meals over to the hospital because these people don't have a uh, uh, even a moment uh, to figure out what they're going to eat in any given day. So, know, we all have kind of a a role to play here.
1: Yeah, indeed. So it's exhausting work. It is work that needs to be done. And I'm just glad that someone, um, you know, like these doctors and these nurses and the support staff that work around them, they're able to step up to the plate and do something. So as we sign off on this uh, episode of Yolotix, think about the healthcare workers. If you're able to send a meal, like Jason said, to your local hospital, send them something. If not, raise a glass, think about them. Um, you know, do what you can. And in the meantime, stay healthy and be safe.
0: Yep, we will uh, talk to you again later this week and hopefully we will have some news to update you with regarding the unemployment situation in Texas. We know we're gonna get new numbers and hopefully we can talk about some progress being made to let in these thousands of people, it seems, who can't get through to file for benefits. Uh, It's getting really desperate for a lot of people, Jason.
1: Jason, indeed so, a lot of people are suffering. We'll talk to them and see you guys a little later this week.